Colossians chapter 4, we continue our journey through this wonderful book of Holy Scripture. We find ourselves towards the end. By God's grace, over the next two weeks, we'll look at sections of Scripture, perhaps sections that many of us might gloss over in our own reading of the books of God's Word. For here in these two sections, this week and next week, we will find various names of the church of Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 4, verse 7 through 9, hear now the word, the living God. Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will make known to you all the things which are happening here. This is the word of the living God, and together we say, Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Let's pray together. And now, O oh Lord, we pray simply that the preaching of the word of Christ would be his word to his sheep. That you would give us your counsel and comfort. Perhaps even regenerating grace for those who are not in Christ this day. Help us, O oh Lord, as we seek to look and base our lives upon your word. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The very latter part of the book of Colossians is, like many other letters, it is a closing, if you will, of the Apostle. He's been writing letter. Now, of course, boys and girls, these chapters and these verses were added later. This was just one long letter. But we find ourselves in the last few sentences of this book of Colossians. And I want us to know, notice together this morning that there are two sections of names here. Two sections of names. First, in our section today, there are two men who are listed who Paul is sending to the church at Colossae. And by God's grace, next week we'll look at the other list of names, and these are the list of names of individuals who are staying with Paul, or are near Paul, who are sending greetings. Perhaps we could look at all of these names together today. But I want us to see what God has for us as Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives instruction and tells about these two men. If you're a note taker this morning, we have three simple points. The men, the mission, and the meaning. The men, who are these two men? Who are Tychicus and Onesimus? Their names are written, not by mistake, in Holy Scripture. These verses, like all other verses, are for us. They're for our edification, our sharpening, our strengthening, that we may approve what is good as believers. So who are these two men? Then secondly, what was their mission, and why might that mission be important for the church at Colossae and for a church like ours 2,000 years later? And then finally, we'll ask ourselves this question. What might it mean for us to read of these two men and the mission that Paul sent them on some 2,000 years later? What is the meaning for Christians today? 
So let us look then firstly at the men. Who are these two men? We read in chapter 4, verse 7, Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. Tychicus is a man whose name is listed all over the New Testament. Paul first meets Tychicus in the book of Acts near Ephesus. Turn over with me to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Boys and girls, as the message of the risen Christ is making its way out of Jerusalem and to the uttermost parts of the known world of the day, Paul and Peter and James and John and others are sharing the gospel. And Paul, particularly, has come to know Christ. Jesus has saved him. And he's journeying all over the place, and he's in Greece, and we read these words in Acts chapter 20, verse 1. After the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. Now when he had gone over that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece and stayed three months. And when the Jews plotted against him as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. And so Peter of Berea accompanied him to Asia. Also Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians and Gaius of Derbe and Timothy and Tychicus and Trophimus of Asia. These men going ahead waited for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days joined them in Troas, where we stayed seven days. Paul meets Tychicus in his journeys going through and around Greece. We don't know all of the details, but Tychicus becomes very important to Paul because Tychicus receives a very unique description. Nowhere else in the New Testament does Paul describe someone in the way that he describes Tychicus in verse 7 of Colossians chapter 4. Beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant. But in addition to this, Tychicus appears to be one of Paul's right-hand men. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 21, we read that Tychicus was also sent as the letter carrier for Paul there. It's likely that Tychicus was carrying the letter to the church at Colossae, the letter to the church at Ephesus, through his trusted courier, Tychicus being sent by Paul. Interestingly enough, we read in Titus chapter 3, verse 12, that Tychicus was sent by Paul to Titus on the island of Crete. And in Paul's final letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, we read that Tychicus was once again sent to Ephesus. You see, boys and girls, today we can send emails, we can send text messages, we can get on our computer and type things that other people read anywhere in the world, or if we want to be a little bit old-fashioned, we can get out a piece of paper write a letter, put it in an envelope, and then put a stamp on it, and someone will carry it to its destination. But in Paul's day, when a letter was written, what would happen is that copies would be made, and that trusted men, trusted couriers, would then carry that letter to the destination. But given that believers, Christians, followers of Jesus were struggling, they were being persecuted by people who didn't believe in Jesus, and then other people were coming along and trying to confuse them in their faith. It was a dark 
time in many ways. So the couriers that carried these letters had to be very well trusted. So we read again of our brother Tychicus in Colossians. Paul says, he will tell you all the news about him. Now notice what Paul calls him. He's our beloved brother, Paul says. Meaning he has an identity in Christ. You know, we've said this before, but in the church of Jesus Christ, we often use the word brother or sister kind of in a very recognizable and maybe even kind of customary way. That's brother so-and-so, that's sister so-and-so. But think what is behind that word when we use it. Paul was not raised in the same family as Tychicus. They did not have the same blood flowing through their veins. And yet Paul says, he's my brother. He's my brother. He's a beloved brother. How is this the case? Well, because Paul and Tychicus were two men who were sinners. And at a moment in time, the Lord Jesus Christ took on their sin. It's almost as if he was wrapped in them. They weren't his sins, but he took them on and it was as if they were his. He was treated as if they were his sins. The sins of Tychicus and the sins of Paul were imputed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ died for those sins. Every last one of them. And at very specific moments in time, the Holy Spirit of God caused the heart of Tychicus and the heart of Paul to be born again. To have spiritual life and out of that life, Tychicus and Paul both in various places and in various times cried out in faith, Lord, save me. These two men, at different times and from different families and from different places, were united to Jesus Christ. Which means they were, in a sense, also united to one another. They became spiritual brothers. And so Paul can say to the church at Colossae, look, Tychicus, he's our very loved brother. He's a believer. He has an identity in Christ like we do. But Paul also calls him a faithful minister. Some may say that this is significant, perhaps, that maybe Tychicus was a pastor or an elder. Others may say that the word minister talks to the fact that he was a faithful servant who carried Paul's letters, because he does it in multiple occurrences in the New Testament. Either way, not only is he a brother in Christ, but Paul calls him faithful. That's also important when you read the other letters of the New Testament. Because there are some who Paul will call unfaithful. Some who will abandon Paul, being in love with the world. Some who will follow in the service of Christ with Paul and the apostolic band for a season and then will abandon the faith. They will make shipwreck of the faith. Others who will do great harm to Paul. But of Tychicus, Paul says, he's our beloved brother and he's faithful in his ministry and service. Fellow servant in the Lord, that could be translated a slave with me. Of Christ. A together slave. We're both chained to Christ. He is our master. So that's Tychicus. 
But then Paul says in verse 8, I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. Now, we read that name and we think, if we're familiar with the pages of the New Testament, oh, I think I've seen the name Onesimus before. Doesn't he show up in the book of Philemon? Yes, he does. But what's interesting is, in verse 9 of Colossians chapter 4, Paul just very casually says, with Onesimus, I am sending with my most trusted courier, Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother. Now we read that and we think, ah, here's another Christian. There's a letter in Holy Scripture that has to do with him. But who was Onesimus? Well, we meet him in Colossians chapter 4, verse 9. That Onesimus was the runaway slave that is the topic of the book of Philemon. Paul uses similar language of Onesimus that he uses with Tychicus in Colossians 4.7, as well as Epaphras in Colossians 1.7. He says he is a faithful and beloved brother. Now you and I might read those words very quickly, but for a Colossian to read these words, they might be quite startling. <coughs> Paul says he is one of you. Perhaps not meaning he's a Christian like us, but he's from Colossae. He's from your town. As the Colossian believers would hear read this letter, they would think to themselves, wait a minute, Onesimus? Onesimus? He did wrong. And he left. We read in Philemon, verses 10 and 11, about Onesimus. Turn over there with me. Philemon. There in these verses we read of the story of Onesimus. Boys and girls, Philemon is short enough that it doesn't really have a chapter. It's just got verses. But look at verses 10 and 11. Paul writes a letter to the church at Colossae, but he also writes a letter to specific members of the church there, and he says in verse 10 of Philemon, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. It's a play on words there, for the name Onesimus means useful or profitable. Paul says, he was once unprofitable, you. But now he's profitable to you and to me. But notice what he says in verse 10. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains. Most commentators would argue that when Paul says, whom I have begotten while in my chains, he means, I led him to Christ while in my chains. Now Paul is not saying that we save people that we do the work of saving people. No, that's Christ and Christ's alone. But somehow, as this runaway slave is trying to get further away from Colossae, we're not told all the details, and somehow as the Apostle Paul, by the very providential hand of God, is moving where he moves, the two meet. 
Paul shares Christ with him and he's converted. And now Paul says, all the way back in Colossians chapter 4, he is my faithful and beloved brother. Church of the Colossians might have been shocked to read these words. Maybe they'd heard the news, maybe they hadn't. But these are the two men, Tychicus and Onesimus. What was their mission, secondly? What was their mission? Well, in verse 8, we read these words, don't we? I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. We're told at least three things in these verses. Because in 9, we read this. Tychicus is being sent, quote, with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They will make known to you all things which are happening here. So let's look at the mission. Paul says then in verse 7, I'm sending him to you that he can tell you the news about me. The first goal of sending Tychicus and Onesimus is that the church at Colossae might know what's happening with the Apostle Paul. That's the purpose. That they might know what is happening with Paul. But secondly, verse 8, the goal is is that they might comfort the hearts of the saints and know the circumstances. Think about this, beloved. Paul says, I'm sending these two men to you so that they can tell you all about me and so that they can comfort your hearts. But then thirdly, in verse 9, we read that Paul doesn't want the Colossians, just to know about Paul, he wants them to know about all that is happening where he is. And by all accounts, Paul is likely under house arrest in Rome. This phrase here could literally be translated that you may know all the things in this place. So this expands the news beyond just Paul. I'm sending them to you to tell, tell you about me and to comfort your hearts, but I want you to know all that's going on here. This news would likely be about the church of Rome, the state of the persecution of Christ's people, and maybe even the circumstances in Rome that are impacting all of the churches of Jesus Christ around the region. The men, Tychicus and Onesimus, the mission, the sharing of news about Paul, about Christ's church, and the bringing of comfort. Well, these three simple verses give us a lot of information, but I want us to spend some time thirdly then looking at what this might mean for us today. Of course, we are right to say in its immediate context why was this important to the church at Colossae? Why was this important for Paul? But as we sit some 2,000 years removed from this sending of two men to the Colossian believers, are there lessons for us? Are there meanings for us in this passage? I want to share three simple things with you. There are likely others 
But as we read of these names, of Paul's intent, here are some things that we can glean. Number one, the Lord is at work even when we don't realize it. Now that might seem to be a very simple lesson. Most of us would affirm that quite boldly with our heads, perhaps with our lips. But do we really believe that the Lord is at work even when we don't realize it? And I'm specifically referring here in this incident to Onesimus. Commentator Murray Harris writes this word, speaking of this passage, he says, quote, Paul adds this relative clause, not as a reproach to the Colossians, but to highlight the radical nature of the conversion of one of their own, Onesimus. Known to them as a dishonest, runaway slave, he had become a reliable and dearly loved Christian brother. Unbeknownst to the church at Colossae, a thief, a liar, has come to Christ. And, and doesn't this reality fit with some of the things that Paul has revealed in this letter? I, I mean, turn over to chapter 3, verse 11. Do you remember that Paul says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things on the earth, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears... Then you will appear with him in glory. And this reality of the Christian's identity being hidden with Christ and God then forms much of the discussion that follows. Notice what Paul says in verse 11. He says, picking up in verse 9, Do not lie to one another. Since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, Christ is all in all. Now, the radical division in the Greco Roman Empire in the first century between slave and free can be seen both in the teaching of Paul in Colossians 3, but in the very example of Paul in Colossians 4 in the book of Philemon. God has been at work saving a thief and runaway slave. <coughs> How might the Lord be at work now one day in the saving of souls, even when we don't realize it? see, the message of the cross of Jesus Christ is that any who will receive Christ by faith may have their sins forgiven, may have their sins atoned for. That wholly resting on Christ, they're wrapped in His righteous life. He taking on their sins and paying for them to the grave and being raised on the third day. His very righteous life being imputed to their account. And the gospel message of Jesus Christ is that sinners will be saved as they come to him. And we're not told all of the circumstances, but Onesimus came to Christ. And now, 
This fledgling band of believers in Colossae is receiving word. Oh, God was at work when you didn't even realize it. But you know, there's a second lesson that I think that we can glean from this passage this morning. That is this. Think about Paul's concern that they know his circumstances and he know their circumstances and that in all of these circumstances, Tychicus may bring them comfort. In addition to us realizing as we read these verses that the Lord is at work even when we don't realize it, another lesson for us is that we should have an interest in the broader church and people of Christ. Now this is an implication of our text this morning. Some of you might be thinking, well the text doesn't actually say that, but it does. It does. We're reading, laid out in these three verses, the men, why Paul sent them, and, and what his desire was. And we see this desire in the hearts of our brother Paul, the heart of our brother Paul throughout the pages of the New Testament. That churches might know of other churches. That they might pray. Remember what Paul said just last week. Colossians 4, 3. Meanwhile, praying for us. That God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ. For which I am also in chains. That I may make it manifest as I want to speak. Hey, you're there in Colossae. Pray for me over here in prison, under house arrest, that I may speak of the gospel. But then specifically notice the intent. Again, I want you to know about my sufferings. I, I, I want to send them to you to tell you about the news of the church and the things that are happening here in Rome. Do you have a concern, brother or sister? For what the Lord Jesus Christ is doing among these churches across this world. We have very practical application, don't we? Even this past week, in our email newsletter, we read words about a church that we are supporting in Scotland, Aberdeen, Scotland. As I opened the email this week, I thought to myself, I wonder what the news will be. There, in part of the news, what do we read? Hey, pray for us. Because one of the things that we're wrestling with here in Scotland, what is it? Is it closed doors because of the government? What is it? Is it persecution from the outside? What is, what is the news going to be, brother, as you tell us how to pray for you? Hey, pray for us. Because... So many people are coming to our services. We want to make sure that we're able to care for the members of our congregation. This within a two-year period of time where when we met this church, perhaps 15 believers were gathering. And now in a new building, there are sometimes too many to count. Do we have an interest in these things? Does it warm our heart to know of God's work among other people, in other places? How are you faring there, brother? How are you faring there, sister? What is God doing in your church? We want to hear the news, brother. 
This is the impulse that Paul has throughout his letters. Ephesus, Thessalonica, Philippi, Colossae, Crete, everywhere that Timothy went. We should have an interest in the broader church and people of Christ. Do our prayers demonstrate this interest? May it be that throughout the weeks of our lives, brothers and sisters, we pray for this church, but we pray for other churches here in this region and around the world. It's an impulse that we see, by implication, arising from the Word of God. And we have this interest. But there's a third and very pastoral aim, isn't there? Turn with me again to verse 8 of Colossians 4. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. As I read of Paul's desire here in sending these two men, there is the need for news to be shared. There's the need for updates. But what is Paul's concern? As I sit in chains, likely in Rome, as I have anxiety, Paul says elsewhere, about the churches, I want their hearts to be comforted. I don't, I don't want their hearts to be troubled. What was the immediate troubling of the church at Colossae? Well, the false teachers, those spreading false philosophies that would lead them away from Christ and his gospel. Perhaps broadening out in the region the persecution that was coming and going more and more people were turning to Christ and naming his name. I want their hearts to be comforted. I want them to know that my suffering and their suffering is not in vain. So I'm sending Titus to you so that he may comfort your hearts. Matthew Henry in his commentary on this passage writes a very clear and quite frankly truthful and encouraging sentence. He says, quote, it is a great comfort under the troubles and difficulties of life, to have the mutual concern of fellow Christians. Let me read that again. It is a great comfort under the troubles and difficulties of life to have the mutual concern of fellow Christians. Now think about this. Yes, our brother Paul was an apostle. Yes, he was given a very specific commission by the Lord Jesus Christ. He's concerned for the hearts of the saints in a different location. I'm going to send him to you so that he may comfort your hearts. That your hearts may not be troubled. And as we think about that phrase, comfort your hearts, do not the words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ ring in our ears? When faced with potential difficulty, he says similar words to his disciples. Turn over to the Gospel of John. John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Just a smattering of verses. You can turn there, but listen as I read them. John 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. 
In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Where I go, you know. And the way, you know. Or John 14, 27 at the end of this text. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. See, this was Jesus comforting the hearts of the disciples as he's talking about leaving them. Ultimately sending the comforter. John 16 and verse 22. John 16, verse 22. Therefore you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. Now this is the Lord Christ. This is not Paul writing to the church at Colossae. But don't we see here in Paul's words an echo of the desire of the Savior, that the hearts of his people, that the hearts of his followers, that the hearts of those for whom he has died be comforted in the truth of his word. That they be given a hundredfold, as Jesus would say, family here and now to comfort them in the midst of their trials. What are our trials today? And how might the Lord Jesus Christ be using his body, his saints, his messengers of heart-comforting news? Writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the jailed apostle says, I want their hearts to be comforted. Is this our desire? Well, brothers and sisters, let us pray that we might understand that the Lord God is at work in our midst and all around the globe, particularly in the saving of souls, but even beyond this, even when we don't realize it. That one of the things that we should glean from Holy Scripture when we read stories of the names of men like this is that we should have an interest the broader church and people of Christ. We should be praying for them, desiring for their good. And brothers and sisters, Christian love, thirdly, involves comforting the saints. Comforting the saints. <clears throat> One of the blessings of pastoring this particular church in this particular season is manifold, but one of the particular blessings is that I often run out of things. What do I mean by that? I often run out of ways to tell you to comfort the hearts of the saints. 
Because so many of you ask me, how can I do that? And I run out of things to tell you to do. Because the Holy Spirit, by the grace of Christ, has given our church a desire in this season to bring comfort to his people. I could have a long list of things. We need someone to do this to comfort this person. We need someone to do this. We need someone to do this. But as an eldership, sometimes we look and we say, look what God is using his people to do. I walk away thinking, there are so many people in this body that want to comfort the saints. It's an impulse. It's scriptural. Paul had it. May we have it. Let's pray. Almighty God, we pray that you would help us. As we read even passages of scripture like this, that so often we might want to gloss over. May we read them with an eye towards what your spirit has for us to glean from such passages. The implications of a text like this. We pray that you would remind us of your work even when we don't see it. That you might... Lord God, give us increasing concern for the saints here and around the world, for how to pray for them. And Lord, we pray that you would bring comfort to our hearts and that you would use each of us as messengers of comfort for the hearts of other brothers and sisters. We pray these things by